Thank you for joining with us for another episode of Morning Briefings here on the Pipeline Intercession for the President and on our podcast. If you have any dreams that you have about the office of the president, please send them to pip at christiancentershreveport.com. We're so thankful that you all have joined in with us on this prayer journey, and we look forward to standing with you not only today, but in the days ahead. So with that, we'll go ahead and join today's broadcast as we talk about the news and stand on the wall for this nation and the office of the president. Good morning, good morning, everyone. Zach Arskaden coming to you live from North Carolina. And it's a blessing to be back here with you guys, standing on the wall, praying for the office of the president. And today, we I want to look at a passage in scripture where, as we're going through, we're, we're winding down this journey of these prayer points and decrees in the the book, The Future War of the Church from Chuck Pierce on the chapter of Dethroning the Thrones of Iniquity. If you don't have it, this is where I'm getting this from. Um, And a lot of the prophecies and and teachings that Chuck really is walking out right now is based upon what the Lord showed him in this book uh, through scripture and, and prophetic revelation through dreams and visions and encounters that he and other people within Gloria Zion ministry have had. And going through this past, these passages of dethroning the thrones iniquity that the Lord has, has called us to, we enter into this phase where if you remember back to around 2020 and, and, and a lot of times in spiritual warfare, you, you hear about the overcoming and taking down of Jezebel. Well, today we want to look at that in a little bit and look at like the beginnings and, and stay high level on this as we see the Lord using Jehu in this instance to take down these thrones of iniquity. And so we want to look at um, just a few passages through Second Kings 9, 10, and 11. Uh, first, starting in the beginning of 9. We see here now that Elisha, the prophet, called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Gird up your loins and take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. When you arrive there, search out Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and bid him arise from among his brothers and bring him to an inner room. Then take the flask and pour out the oil. So then he goes and um, Elisha told him, you know, I have anointed you king. Basically tell him, I have anointed you king over Israel. Go and flee and do not wait. Then he goes and finds him. And then he says, he arose and went into the house and he poured the oil on his head, the prophet, and said to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord. Even over Israel, you shall strike the house of Ahab, your master, who was then king at the time, that you may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel, who destroyed the prophets of the Lord and tore down the temples of the Lord and implanted in its place the thrones of iniquity in this instance, prophets of Baal, Molech, etc. And so even the enemy understands that authority. If you want to place a throne... If you want to overtake a throne, you have to dethrone what was there before and replant in what you want to see. And so here the Lord is saying, let's do the opposite. Following that same 
spiritual principle of dethroning what is there and putting it in place. And this is the beginning of this. And so, um, we're left. Okay, verse 8. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab every male person, both bond and free in Israel. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. The dogs shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bury her. Then he opened the door and fled. Then we proceed through the rest of 9, going into 10, and into 11, Jehu and his descendants to going through and pulling down the thrones of iniquity and being established. They didn't fully do it, so they didn't fully um, establish a, a true dependent relationship upon God as within the kings. But because of this, the Lord tells him, you will you know, have someone on this throne up until the fourth, third and fourth generation. And then they go into sin. But I want to go next to, as we see, okay, we follow this story. Um, Jehoram is assassinated because of, of Jehu, um, who goes after him. He assassinates Ahaziah, the king at that time, then eventually slays Jezebel, and then is um, basically throws her to the dogs, as was said there. Then we get into chapter 10. And I'm going to go all the way down to the end here um, and really highlight something that I think is, is, is important here uh, of understanding where, through this process, what Jehu did. It says in 28, Thus Jehu eradicated Baal out of Israel. However, as for the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, which he made Israel sin, from these Jehu did not depart, even the golden calves that were at Bethel, and that were at Dan, the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in executing what is right in my eyes, and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. Okay, so we see this. But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel sin. So, okay, he did it. He didn't fully go to where the Lord wanted. And then... In 11, we see um, Athaliah, the queen or the, the mother of Hazia, who was then king, um, eventually hide and, and try to, as she saw her family getting destroyed uh, from Jehu, try to hide, but they found her and they ended up um, even taking her out. But we go down to verse 17 here as we're following this story and see this. Then Jehoadab made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people, that they would be the Lord's people, also between the king and the people. All the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down, his altars and his images. They broke in pieces thoroughly and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars, and the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. And then we see Nexus reestablishing. So we see here that the Lord is wanting us to dethrone these thrones of iniquity, but reminding ourselves of what we saw uh, in Second Chronicles 20, where sometimes, in this instance, the Lord tells you to go out and overtake physically 
those enemies that are, are, are against you, as is needed in some instances, some instances in Second Chronicles 20, where we saw you just worship and the Lord will take care of things on their own. And so in, in this battle is a cry for us to be in that relationship with the Lord, be in that place where the Lord would want us and, and be at that place where we're so dependent upon the Lord and understanding of a fire forward what the Lord wants and knowing that vengeance belongs to the Lord and, and the way we're seeing things right now doesn't mean we ourselves necessarily have to do it. Some instances, in the case of Jehu, yes, you do, but in others, in the case of Second Chronicles 20, it is we need to be patient. And that's why we say, let's check our emotions at the door. Because maybe what we've seen in the past and how we've seen things done in the past isn't necessarily how things need to be done in the future. Because there can tend to be a, an emotional response to some things. And so we really want to be in, in that place of peace with the Lord, especially as some things that we're going to point on to today um, will really need to be needed. But also understand that eventually God, he's the one who sits on the throne. He'll guide us into these seasons to be able to dethrone these thrones of iniquity in his timing. And sometimes things have to come to a point where people realize that they have to stop struggling on their own and, and fully trust and depend and wait upon the Lord. And and so is this, are we at that season where the church is at that place? Or are we still, as, as a body of Christ, still trying to figure things out on our own rather than just fully trusting in the Lord? And so that's that place we want to get to. And, and the prayer point for this passage is declare that every inheritance of Jezebel that has influence over you or your region will be overturned. And ultimately uh, notice that in this passage of scripture that Jezebel was taken down and then Atalia began to reign, but Atalia was also dethroned as well, those who were in line with Jezebel. So we want to remind ourselves of that. And, and that's, this is what we're trying to understand of plucking up and then replanning with what the Lord has. Okay. So thank you for bearing with me on that. Now let's get into the news. Uh, I want to say high level on some things and understand what's coming. Obviously, the there's a lot of cultural news and things that if you're paying attention to, you can get kind of washed away into some of these decisions that these leaders are being put forward in front of them. And that's why we're here. We want to pray for the our leaders as they're being put in positions of decisions making on a lot of issues that tend to go unnoticed if you if you pay attention to mainstream media even a lot of the um new age media if you want to call it that the up and coming social media media so um but first we want to stay in informed on what's going on in israel so yesterday a podcast came out with a former new york times journal or yeah new york times journalist barry weiss where uh bb netanyahu who she's a left-leaning journalist but is still somewhat open to free speech more of a a, a old-school classically liberal journalist who eventually got fed up with the left-wing progressive policies and decision making from new york times and ended up leaving and got fired i can't remember exactly the, the specifics on that but it was not a, a mutual uh, departation and, and but beyond that netanyahu goes on and really shows a show of force. And the title here from the Jerusalem Post says, Netanyahu says he is in charge. Israel will not be run by Talmudic law. 
basically going out and saying to the progressive party within Israel that, look, stop worrying about um, these positions of people who are in these religious uh, Zionist party that have helped me form a coalition to get me back in government. I'm the one to control. Our party is the one who's going to lead the charge on this. And even if they're in positions of military leadership, that we're going to look at the whole and make sure we're not doing things that are bombastic. So you need to trust me. We're going to go forward. The LGBTQ forums and people, they're going to be safe. Don't worry about that, et cetera, et cetera, which is extreme political speech. And Understanding that Netanyahu is still a man, he still has issues, as we see here in scripture passages before, that, you know, they they take out some things, but they leave just enough to make sure they stay in power and, and make people happy. Now, the reason I bring this up is because this is a direct comment for the big concern from the Biden administration of saying, well, you need to make sure you put people in positions of power that we can work with which is quite interesting to see coming from a foreign government to try to influence other nations, which it's okay if we do it to other nations, but it's not okay if other nations try to get involved in us in persuading our politicians to do certain things. A little bit of a conundrum there for uh, those on the left. Now, that's really the latest we're seeing out of these negotiations. <laughs> um, you're not really hearing much. And again, they're preparing, supposedly, to swear everybody in and et cetera and move forward with that. So that's what we know in those negotiations of them getting involved. And Netanyahu is coming out doing a show of force not only for himself, his party, for the rest of the world, and his enemies as well as Iran is ramping things up um, as we've seen earlier this week. Now, on some bigger scale news of even more news that the United States is involved in with Israel is that the U UN General Assembly has, as it does yearly, called for resolutions and negotiations on a two-state solution to be brought forward. But another action was taken further in that they called for peace talks to be resumed, guess where? In Moscow. Quite interesting to see that Moscow and Russia will be the one heavily involved in these negotiations during a time of war, while at the same time trying to negotiate the Iran nuclear deal, who they're in partnership with. Just quite interesting, while they're also fighting alongside Iran and Syria. But yet they're supposed to be a neutral party in the Iran uh, the Israel-Palestine debate. And so we see this happen, and this happens every year at the beginning of the General Session, General Assembly. The vote was 150 the four to nine and ten abstaining, and even uh, Ukraine voted in favor of this resolution. For those in Ukraine praying for Ukraine, this is not spiritually a good thing. Those who bless Israel shall be blessed. Those who curse Israel shall be cursed. In this instance, this is a curse. And the call or the text uh, uh, was based around the question of a peaceful settlement of the question of Palestine. Basically, a two-state solution um, to try to force Israel to give up um, and going back to the pre-1976 borders, which, if you remember, really around Jerusalem puts it back to like nine to ten miles wide, which you would separate north and south Israel, which would be just, I mean, strategically just disastrous. 
And um, what we're also seeing in this is that the United States stood against the, against most of this text um, involving some trumped-up claims that are, are not necessary. But again, this is I, the UN. They, they tend to do this. 154 to 9. Nine nations saying, eh, only Israel really deserves to to have freedom and security within their own, own nation. I mean, think about that. In America. Hey, uh, we're going to listen to every other nation in the world. Yeah, um, you need to give everything to, to Canada. You need to give everything to Mexico. Give the Louisiana Purchase back to France. Uh, how would we feel about that? So, just some, some things to chew on and understand these are decisions. This is why it's important of who the president, who they listen to, of sending to the UN General Council, um, and just some things there. And the reason we want to pay attention to this is because with everything going on, as this stuff is going on real quietly, and you're not going to hear much about it, but this affects a lot of the policy decisions that not only our leaders make, but other leaders around the world. Um so, and today, the president is meeting with um, French Prime Minister Emmanuel Macron. We'll see what comes out of that. They're obviously, both nations are involved heavily in the Iran nuclear deal talks and um, involved as well with the two-state solution issue and, and what's going on in, in Ukraine between Russia, etc., and China and everything else. So um, interesting to see that relationship being built today. But we want to get into some uh, some cultural things here a little bit because I think it's it's very um, interesting to see the stances made by some of these politicians. So yesterday, Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked a question uh, from Peter Ducey of Fox on if they would ever consider shutting down Twitter for <sighs> it's basically just running its company as is. And the response from her is quite interesting, so I want to bring it up and play it here, um, and then just move forward, just just so we understand what the rhetoric is coming out of the White House. You say that you're going to be monitoring some of the speech on there. If you see something that you don't like, would you try to shut Twitter down? So look, you know, when you when you talk about monitoring, you know, it is. Uh, I, I hate to break it to you, Peter. Just like everybody else, we very much monitor the news. We and she said that before. We monitor the news. We see what you guys put out. To everything that you all are reporting. So we're going to pay attention to the mainstream media, et cetera, and we're also going to pay attention to Twitter. And very revealing what comes next. News a lot. And so that's what we're paying attention to. We're paying attention to what is in the news and what is being reported on uh, on the misinformation that's out there. Let's not forget. On the misinformation that's out there. Who determines what is mi misinformation? That is not being asked or answered. Like NAACP, the Anti-Defamation League, and the public <laughs> health leaders have been very vocal about their concerns as well. So, yeah. so these are the people who determine who who what is misinformation, hate speech, etc. One-sided. But they determine. Yes, we are uh, reading what you all are, are writing and, and looking at what you all are reporting uh, about the misinformation uh, that is out there. But, you know, I would hope that all Americans, uh, including social media companies, civil rights organizations I just laid out, <laughs> including Fox as well, will agree that uh, we need to, uh, you know, we need to, uh, to uh, you know, call out hate speech and misinformation. Or more so, we need to control what information is out there, minister of truth, etc. This is coming, the reason I point out, this is what's coming from 
the Biden administration directly. These are the type of policy decisions of those behind the curtain, those behind Biden himself, that what they want to do. Yes, they call out um, China supposedly for its zero COVID stance and its lockdowns and stuff, but yet they want companies to do it rather than them themselves. Now, also, we see another claim from Karine Jean-Pierre on the issue of the border. Again, was Peter Ducey asked a great question about what the Biden administration is going to do about sending the president to the border? And this is her response. Has been uh, taking action to fix our immigration system. Kevin McCarthy says that he invited President Biden down to the border. How does the president RSVP? <laughs> to- well, we know we know the president's never been down to the border. The possible next speaker says that he wants him to go with him. So is he going to? So look, uh, he's been there. He's been to the border, uh, and since he took office, when, when did he go to the border? Since he took office, the President Biden has been uh, taking action to fix our immigration system. He's been to the border. If the President of the United States went to the border, don't you think the entire country would know about it? And it, when asked when, she just says, well, he's taking action and as she goes on border. with her rhetoric. And that's why on day one, he put forward an immigration uh, immigration reform, a piece of legislation uh, to deal with uh, what is currently happening at the border. Okay, this is quite alarming to see this stuff come about. And it's good that it is coming out so people can realize this is the rhetoric, this is the, 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 the thinking that you can just ignore problems, number one, obviously with the issue at the border, but ignore direct questions of when is the president going to the border? Oh, you say he is, then when did he go? I mean, that's just a straight, there's no other way of putting it, a bold-faced lie. Now, when we see this, we got to really check our emotions because this can get us uh, bent out of shape in a lot of issues. And I want to play this other clip because this is from uh, Senator Warren when she was directly asked by a Fox News reporter about what's going on at Twitter. I want to go back to this because this is very revealing about the stances that these people take in moving forward with some of the recent revelations that have come out that do not bode well for these politicians and the ideas that they're pushing. Elon Musk is doing just fine. But do you think that users have a right to freedom of speech, even if what they're saying is wrong or offensive? I think that one... And that's a great question. She's asking her the question based upon how Elizabeth Warren sees things. Not that that's true. She's just saying, hey, this is... I understand how you're thinking. So she poses a question very well. And this is, this is Elizabeth Warren's response. It's very, very, very telling with a lot of the policy decisions being pushed forward by the up-and-coming Democratic Party. Human being should not decide how millions of people communicate with each other. One human being should not be able to go into a dark room by himself and decide, oh, that person gets heard from, that person doesn't. That's not how it should work. And that's not how it's working. He's just saying, let's bring everybody back and let let people come back and say what they're going to say, and then let you determine it. Not going to take you off, you know, going into this dark corner. Isn't that what was done before? So it's quite interesting to see all this after, you know, the recent revelations that uh, Elon Musk made that 
Twitter was heavily involved in influencing elections with uh, pulling down information and putting people off. And so um, the, the issue is, is, is they go back, and, and I bring this up, and I go back to what Karen Jean-Pierre said, is they want social media companies, news organizations to monitor what's going on at Facebook and, and Twitter and, and elsewhere, social media companies, and to hopefully pull it down as they have in the past only when it's convenient for them, only when it doesn't produce a narrative that they, in their third-party organizations, the NAACP, etc., who, who say, bring up these, oh, this is whatever the case may be. Oh, it's hate speech. But what is hate speech? Um, who determines what, what is hate speech? Who determines what is a woman? Some fairy tale person out there. And so we, we want to be aware of this. Pray for our leaders. Um, pray for their staffs, more importantly, to to help educate them on these issues. Because this is a, a world where people in their 60s and 70s who didn't grow up in the technological era that the, their staff has don't fully understand what's really going on. Again, uh, there are a lot of Democrats who think there should be monitoring and think that there needs to be basically government control of these social media companies as now the EU is trying to put on uh, Twitter and, and we'll see how that plays out uh, but the reality is, is Musk is saying no enough I'm, I'm going to allow freedom of speech because that's how I want to run the company and also uh, that's what this nation is run upon based upon the first amendment Okay, now moving more into some specifics we on the issue of the spending bill being brought forward so we see the negotiations from the administration and top leaders and their advisors, and we're seeing now um, Mitch McConnell again coming out, kind of doubling down and saying that leadership and we, Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, President Biden, want to, in this lame duck session of Congress, pass an omnibus spending bill, meaning everything goes that the Democrats want. We're just going to cave to them and do what they want. You also have um, McCarthy and, and others saying that. But then you have those behind the scenes who are saying, no, don't do this. Let's wait. Let's wait until we can get the House back to prevent these things from going forward because we care about the country. Rather than just protecting themselves and saying, we can work across the aisle. We can do this. We can work with this administration. When you're not really working with them, you're just kowtowing to them. And so we're seeing this um, – come forward and and an instance in this and, and we just want to pray for our leaders to not again go in line with the third and fourth um generation crippling of the bernie sanders agenda which this is a spending bill but we're also seeing on this rail issue that again i talked about i brought up bernie sanders clip yesterday about how this is all just political fodder the Biden administration could have done this and the democrats in the house could have done what bernie sanders won of saying adding on to the actual bill, not an amendment, to the bill that will get passed in the Senate of the seven days giving workers off, which the Biden administration could have done in their negotiations earlier, but in a vote yesterday to avoid a rail strike of 290 to 137, they voted in favor of basically preventing a rail strike and moving forward. Now, as part of that, they also voted to add on, now, as part of this 290 to 137 vote was the the seven day off period a year was not involved in it if if 
You have control of the House. You have major- mostly control of the Senate where you could pass these things right now. Why not add that in the bill? They added it as an amendment on a separate vote, and so that got that still got pushed forward. So then why not vote on this bill and then vote on that amendment to be added to it in the Senate? But Bernie Sanders says, no, I'm going to block this because this isn't exactly what we want. This is the party that you're dealing with. If you don't do what they want, when they want, how they want it, they're going to cry a fit, and they're going to use it as political fodder, motivation, come this next election cycle. Come political advertisement, come campaign, like anything they want to use it for, they're going to try to continually to separate this divide, which you're playing with the entire country here with this rail strike issue. Um, and Bernie Sanders could potentially allow a strike to go forward because the Democrats didn't do what they necessarily wanted to. Like, it's all Democrats fighting amongst themselves in it, and it's uh, quite interesting just to see this all play out. We want to continue. This is another specific issue of praying for wisdom and revelation and peace for our leaders to hopefully avoid this issue as obviously the negotiators and the rail unions and companies couldn't come to on their own, being led by the Biden administration, unfortunately. So we see that play out. And then lastly, I want to end on a very, very, very positive note during this tumultuous time. Uh, It came out this morning that an appeals court out of Texas, again, ruled a that the Biden student loan forgiveness um, does not have any legal authority or proceeding. The administration does not have the actual authority to do what it's trying to do. And so, therefore, further moving it along towards um, going basically to the Supreme Court. And so, in the November 30th ruling, a New York, a New Orleans judge uh, based fifth Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals denied the Biden administration request to put on hold a judge's November 10th order vacating the student room relief in a lawsuit brought forward by the conservative advocacy group Job Creators Network of Foundation. The Fifth Circuit correctly rejected the Biden administration's attempt to reinstate the student loan bailout pending appeal. So this is denying them access to institute it after them saying we're, you know, don't worry to the stu- those who are begging for the student loan forgiveness, and we need to just go forward and, and just be ready for it. And it's a, a bold-faced lie uh, before the midterms to get people to vote for them, to persuade the, the, the fiscal argument. And so now it's coming back to bite them in the rear end as they have no legal authority. And this is the MO, unfortunately, for Obama 3.0 administration. But I go back to, again, our study of Second Kings... 9 through 11, where the Lord appoints Jehu to go and dethrone the thrones of iniquity and take out those thrones and hopefully, in the process, establish thrones that are in line with the laws of the Lord to, to bring about a relationship and a hunger for Him throughout the land in basic morality, to say the least, of not offering bail, child sacrifices, which is what those are. And so we're here in in this position, in this nation, to stand against, to try our very best to dethrone these thrones of iniquity in the land and the place that we have. And that's what we want to focus on today, with all this coming out, with all this coming about, um, with the just bold-faced, just 
misdirection and lies from this administration, not answering questions that are put right before them when there's clear evidence of things not happening as they say they're happening, um, and, and, and re- hopefully praying that people within this nation and more so within the church can awaken to the reality of this keep their emotions in check because this is a big issue especially when getting involved with politics people dive into their emotions as it is it is my very own and our very own and sometimes why we stay away from certain topics or wait a day or two to get into certain topics because our emotions can get too heavily involved and so we just want to be spiritually um, mature and honest about that and so we want to end on that continuing to understand that with these golden court cases that are out there that's going to be the mode of victory right now and during this lame duck session of congress is just pray for wisdom revelation for our leaders to not succumb to this agenda that will cripple the next three to four generations if allowed to go forward especially with this omnibus spending bill and most importantly pray for the peace of jerusalem so blessings to each and every one of you we'll be back tomorrow morning continuing to stand on the wall praying for this nation and the office of the president blessings and i'll see you guys later have a good one